Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. Uh, we're mixing it up a bit this week, so you've got me, Simon Clancy, fronting the show, which is, as always, brought to you by Prize Picks. You can use the promo code 5FIVE to get a $100 match bonus on your $100 deposit. Also by Better Edge, go to betteredge.com forward slash five reasons and get $20 just for signing up. And finally, by SKD Studios, shop designer furniture, lighting, accessories, and more online at skdstudios.com forward slash shop. And I will just say this, the last time I had to read an ad, it was for Viagra. So um, we're going up in the world or, you know, literally up in the world don't get too excited simon is that don't get too excited simon it wasn't for viagra it was for generic viagra actually i mean the same thing right it makes things go up <laughs> yes the reason we're mixing up this week is that chris is getting ready to go on what he calls a disney cruise which i'm pretty sure is code for prison uh but we'll see and as i haven't been at a training camp unlike alf who's always here we've kind of swapped roles a little bit uh and also our special guest has been at training camp all week, formerly of the Draft Network, where he completely ignored me at the 2022 Senior Bowl. Currently the host of Locked On Dolphins, it's Carl Krabs. Welcome to the Dark Side, Carl. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm glad to not be ignoring you here on Three Yards Per Carry. <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm, I bet you're more glad that I've held a grudge now for like 17 months or something. It's like, you know. No, I think the, <laughs> the, best, the best of the best always find a way to have a chip on their shoulder. So... If that's what was necessary, then you're welcome. I think is Brother, what that's I'm how I'm going to roll. That's how I'm going to roll. Uh, listen, welcome, boys. I'm going to ask the questions this week. Alf would normally ask them, but it's going to be me this this week. So we'll kick off straight away because, like I said, you boys have been at camp. So just before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes, well, what's what have been your kind of overall observations of of the first five days? Carl, kick off with you. What what what's been your kind of your takeaway of how the Dolphins have looked? Yeah, I I, I think it's been highly competitive on both sides of the ball where they have their moments. I think the biggest storyline for me, though, is that this is not a team in any capacity based off scheme or concept that is resting on their laurels. You're, you are, in my mind, seeing them offensively try a lot of new stuff. And I think that's why if people are at practice for a practice, you might say, man, like, they're not necessarily having their timing down pat just yet. And yeah, first of all, it's first week of training camp, but then also they're, they're targeting different areas of the field. They're trying some different concepts and that that's really been what stood out to me offensively. And then obviously with Vic Fangio and the defensive side of the ball, having a scheme change and that install and hearing the players talk about that and seeing the bright flashes of what that could look like along with the talent that they have has been the central theme for me. This is not just, oh, they just ran back last year's team. I think there's going to be some pretty significant differences. No, so we'll dig into the coaches in a sec, but Alf, overall observations? Yeah, I would say that that what Vic Fangio has brought to this team is not only a really you know high-level defensive coordinator, and everybody's 
you know, given him his flowers this offseason. But he's also brought a pretty boring camp because he's not allowing all, all those flashy plays that you saw last year in camp. And it's kind of interesting, and I know we'll get into it, but it's fun to watch Tua Tungavaloa kind of download and process what's going on on the defensive end and watching all these coverages take place. And my main takeaway is this is a very, very, very talented team. And if they put it all together, you know, we'll be talking about a deep playoff run, I think. Um, my my last takeaway, and I'm pretty sure that we'll talk about it, is all these these younger guys that are actually having a mm. really, really good camp. Ezukama, Noeg Benogany, to, to name a few. Like I said, we we'll, want to touch on the coaches and kind of get into some of the detail now. And and Alf, I'll stick with you. You guys have sat in with with coach um, with Coach McDaniel with his press conferences, and you've kind of been around him pre and post practice. But do you get the sense that he's matured? And I don't mean you know taking the you know the jokes and the the funny stuff away, but just uh, because I'm sure he went away in the off season and sort of recalibrated everything and looked at everything from practice to the way that teams travel to games, but also probably looked at himself a little bit and wondered, okay, how can I mature a bit? What do I need to do better as a as a person, as a coach? I know it's only five days, but are you getting a bit of a sense of his maturation? One thing I did notice that is completely different from last year. Last year, you kind of saw Mike McDaniel take to his side of the ball. And he was very involved with the offensive line, with the wide receivers, chatting up to Otunga Bailoa, with the running backs, you know, getting into after plays and, and kind of like on the fly dissecting and kind of plugging the leaks or fixing the holes that he saw on the previous rep. This year, I see him talking up and chatting up Xavier Howard. I see him talking to Cater Kohu. I see him on the defensive side of the ball. I see him gravitating toward Vic Fangio and talking between reps. And I see him much more involved on that side of the ball. And maybe he's trying to, I don't know, I wouldn't say he's trying to learn, but I would say that he's taking in more info than, than he did last year. And that's good. I think that's a good thing for us because, uh, like I was saying earlier, I was I was talking up earlier in, in the camp report. Can you see a Sean Payton taking advice from Vic Fangio, and and Vic Fangio tell him, you know what, uh, this 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 play that you're calling is not going to work against this type of coverage, and you know maybe you need to adjust the rock combination here. Uh, I think Mike McDaniel would take that advice from a Vic Fangio. I don't think a Sean Payton would. I think Sean Payton would would, would just tell him, you know, I'm I'm Sean Payton and you're not. Uh, I think that that's a good thing. I think he's uh, more than any other coach. I think he's a guy that that would take criticism and constructive criticism from a Vic Fangio. And I, it's fun to see that he's actually interacting with the other side of the ball. When last year I I watched all camp, he never did really. Yeah, I don't think Sean Payton wants to take advice from any coach or talk about any coach at any point over the next few weeks. Probably wants to keep his head down. Carl, I was fascinated by what you said there um, in your observations about plays and play design because I, I wanted to come to you and talk about, you know, obviously we sort of started off last year with those kind of kamikaze-style RPOs where Tua was reading the M-man on the line but you know, trying to push the ball vertically down the field, post wheels, rail wheels. Uh, and I kind of have wondered and wondered through the off-season whether that's been... Uh, and will be sustainable as teams were getting more tape of what we were doing, we're getting more tape of Tua. Uh, and clearly McDaniel has has been in the lab this offseason based on on what you just said from your observations the first few days. Yeah, I, th- I think we've really only seen that 
staple concept a handful of times and it's it's been proficient but the the question was what are you going to do when teams like san francisco play with their linebackers at 12 yards of depth and you mm-hmm. you can't hit that glance route in there what are you going to do when the chargers decide that they're going to flood the middle of the field of the way that they did uh and, and really put you in a box offensively and, and you tried to call some plays but the the confidence and the execution wasn't there so uh i, I think you're seeing some of the same elements, I don't, I don't want to get too far into the details and risk getting in trouble with the <laughs> reporting policy, but I would just say that there's uh, concepts that are applying the same core principles of the offense that I think you're seeing with routes that don't break into the middle of the field, where Mike White had a really great press availability the other day, and he talked about, you know, when I was with the Jets, it's kind of the bones of the same system, and we're watching Miami and, and trying to get the scout team to replicate some of this to get us ready for the game. And you can't replicate it with the speed because the speed changes so many dynamics of defensive rules and defensive landmarks and how they use motion to build off of that. And so much of it last year bent into the middle of the field. And then you had a couple of teams that said, okay, well, screw you. We're just, we're, we're going to load that area. And I think that, speed element and running concepts that create a little bit more vertical stretch by the speed that the Dolphins have to run it and having them break out. You've seen a couple really nice touch throws against zone coverage from Tua Tagovailoa that the timing's just not quite there yet because you got receivers and different receivers running the routes and getting it up over top of a squatting corner that that's kind of played cloud coverage and, and trying to halfway the flat and, um, as that timing gets better, having that counterpunch, I think, brings you back into a position where, Simon, like you you alluded to, those RPOs can be more sustainable because you have something else to punch off of it. And maybe it's yeah. not an RPO, but you got to space a little bit more of the field with more consistency and efficiency. And I think that's yeah. what they're seeing them work on. And staying with that, Carl, then, it felt like last season there was no real natural... I suppose natural meeting ground between the kind of the zone from the gun, the RPO game, uh, and mainly those sort of deep shots from first level reads. Uh, and McDaniel's kind of want a need to be a sort of condensed turn the black turn the back play action play caller. Do you get a sense that there's a bit less of the sort of the jumble in his head that he's got things a little bit more aligned in terms of what he wants to be and how he wants to to call plays? And and, and he talked obviously in 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 minicamp about the need to run the ball more, which we obviously all know that he went away from a bit. But do you get a sense that he's beginning to straighten things out a little bit in his own head, this kind of mad genius with all these things kind of running around his head and but he's just a bit more aligned? Yeah, and one of the questions that I was really excited to ask him, and then somebody asked him something else like the day before I came down, and he kind of stumbled into the answer to it without being asked the question I directly wanted to ask, was like, what has this offseason been like for you now that you have a proof of concept of what your players are capable of doing? And he he mentioned that uh, last week when they came back for camp talking about it's all forecasting what you think they're good at. And then going through that first season is really just finding out what works and building off of it on the fly. And then you get into the off season and you, you tangibly know this is what these guys are good at and what we were able to do. And it gives you much more clarity and, and direction on how you want to flesh out around that, if you will. So sure. uh, I certainly think that there's, 
uh, a little bit more honed focus on what they tangibly know works and then finding ways to have tangible counter punches off of that that also fit within the strengths of their players. Sure. Alf, you talked about um you talked about Vic Fangio a little bit and obviously Carl's just just talked uh, about Mike McDaniel there, but the kind of the most interesting hire this offseason was was Butch Barry in terms of, you know, this offensive line. We we know we've talked about it ad infinitum on this show and as friends for two decades that, you know, the offensive line has been mediocre at best for, for most of those 20 years or so. What are your early takes on Butch Barry, what he's been able to do and, and how that line's working, especially without, obviously, Teron Armstead, who came off PUP today? Well, while... Matt Applebaum was more of a teacher and kind of soft-spoken and uh, seemed to, you know, run his offensive line unit, you know, and we later found out that I guess Mike McDaniel didn't like the work he was doing with that unit. Uh, While he ran his more as a democracy, this is obviously more of a dictatorship now, and he's a screamer. He's one of those guys that's going to be in there. He's going to be loud. Um, he did correct Robert Jones uh, a couple of times in, in a couple of practices that I saw. Uh, Robert Jones is a guy that, I guess, tends to cheat on drills. And Butch Barry's a guy that doesn't, you know, very much like that, okay? Uh, if he wants you in your stance at a certain angle, he wants you in your stance at a certain angle. Uh, he's loud. He's boisterous. Uh, he's been kind of emphasizing a lot of what you would emphasize as far as an out zone, outside zone guy. Uh, you know, he's, he's big on pad placement, especially, uh, as, as, especially with tackles, as far as getting it to the outside, um, he emphasizes that. And although we've had some, uh, you know, a static offensive line, uh, we can't get too much into who, who are the starters, but you can guess. Okay. Uh, you saw the team last year. You can roll it over to this year. Uh, I will say this Kendall Lamb is impressed so far in camp as the swing mm-hmm. tackle. So, while you have kind of a static starting unit, you could say, the rest of the guys or the rest of the units have been very, very, very fluid. And it's been, I wouldn't say at his whim, but at his command. Uh, I guess they're trying a lot of different guys at a lot of different spots past the top unit. So I would guess that that's Butch Barry's doing. So, you know, we shall see. But so far, very, very involved, very loud, boisterous as an Good. offensive line coach. Good to hear that about Kendall Lamb as well, because uh, uh, as you know, I thought he played really well in those minimal snaps before he got hurt against the Patriots. Let's get into those units then and, and kick off at the back end with the, with the defensive backs. And look, far from me to be glass half full, but if you were to say to most teams in the, in the NFL, they would lose probably their second best pure talent player for most of the regular season on day two of training camp, it would be a catastrophe, right? And yet, actually, defensive back is the one place where Miami can actually feel really comfortable without Jalen Ramsey. You know, you lose, you lose Teron Armstead for the season. That's a, that's a hammer blow. You lose Tyreek. That's a massive blow. But actually, it feels like yeah, it's a it, it's a disappointment that Jalen's not going to be out there. But you know, the depth there with with X, but with Cam with Cam Smith, with Kader Kohu, with Trill coming back, with Nick Needham coming back. You know, it looks like Javon is playing a bit more. You know, coverage. Than you know, than he's done it in past years. How do you feel like, Carl, that the DBs are, are reacting? Because um, you know, certainly it felt like Cam Smith had a really good day today, for example. But he's not the only one who's been playing well. Yeah, they they get a lot of options here, and I I find myself being really 
interested in who their third outside corner is for when they want to go nickel and you're projecting Caterco who would, would be the nickel when they want to go coverage looks. But yeah. well, I, I just can't get out of my mind that Javon Holland tape in 2019 at Oregon yeah. where he was down close to the box in the nickel a lot and um, you get him close to the line of scrimmage, you can really weaponize him in some of the same ways that you probably would have expected Jalen Ramsey as kind of this hybrid type weapon player, but you need to be comfortable with what the other guys are on the back end. And, and Deshaun Elliott, I, I think is, has been getting a lot of looks in the, in the high safety opportunities. And, and Brandon Jones has been in a red non-contact Jersey. So if that safety room develops and you feel comfortable with those guys being relatively interchangeable and all understanding all of the the calls and the tools that Vic's defense affords you I think that frees you up to really have a player if you want to prioritize the nickel being a defensive weapon and this the structure of this defense can really benefit from that being the case which is why I was so excited for Ramsey in the first place but until he comes back that for me is the pathway, but but you've got depth and like you have these other safeties that are also competing. And I think Elijah Campbell's had a nice camp yeah. as well. Obviously, for Roman McKinley is a UDFA last year. We mentioned Trill Williams, and he's getting some some cross training opportunities. I know he's also in a red non contact jersey right now. So um, I don't know how soon we'll see Nick Needham. Uh, he he's been off to the side and obviously suffered a pretty serious injury. So I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up staying on the PUP for a little little while, and that might be also more close to a midseason return for him just based off of the few days that we've seen him moving around out here. But they're going to have a plethora of options, and like you talked about with the depth that they have, if you were going to have to absorb for half of the season or potentially longer and bide your time for this kind of player like Jalen Ramsey to come back, you have the versatility to have three or four guys all chip in and take the snaps. It's just not going to be as effective because you don't have one player who's a monster athlete and stature player in the, in that spot. Yeah, absolutely. And for people that didn't follow Javon Holland in, in college at Oregon, he, he literally played, I mean, he, he, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but for two and a half years, because he obviously sat out the, his final year because of the pandemic, but the year and a half before that, I think he played something ridiculously low, like six snaps of pure safety because he was just in the nickel the whole time. So his, his skill set really sort of, you know, lends to that ability to be so versatile, especially if they feel comfortable on the back end with who they got. But you look at some of those names as well. Um, Alf on the back end that, that Carl's just mentioned, but you know, you throw an Eli Apple in there and a Justin Bethel who has never just you know has never let them down on the back end, and you know, Carl mentioned Elijah Campbell, but you know, Tino Ellis, and you, you mentioned him at the top, Noah Igbenogane, who's you know has yet another chance, and you know, we talked about this on the uh, on WhatsApp the other day. It kind of felt like originally maybe he wouldn't fit with the with Vic's defense, but feels like when he came to the podium the other day, there was just a maturity and a, just a different Noah to to what we've seen before and somebody who in year four, you know, we kind of felt like when Jaden came in, he wasn't probably, you know, struggled to make the team. And yet he's going to find himself right in the mix. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, big shout out to, to Omar Kelly for letting this cat out of the bag very, very, very early. Cause this is something that they don't want you to report on who's on which unit. Obviously, uh, Xavier Howard, you know, is going to start. I don't think I'm breaking the, the reporting policy here. 
But I would be breaking the reporting policy if I told you that as soon as Jalen Ramsey went out, Noah Benogany came in and started taking every single first-team rep. But I got to thank Omar Kelly for that. Uh, oh, Noah Benogany actually stepped in, and he's stepped in very well. He's having a good camp. It's only been a week, and I know I don't want to get too he- ahead of myself, but so far so good, and we would have never guessed that in this kind of system where he's facing the quarterback and he's going to be playing a lot more zone, that he would actually take to it, but he has so far. And uh, Cam Smith has also had a good camp. He's looked well. Cater Kohu has that alpha look to himself. I also like that Cater Kohu was asked about giving up number four to a to Dalvin Cook if he does sign, if if he ever decides to play football again. Uh, and he said, no, I'm keeping my number four. And so I would say, yeah, it's 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 a great group. Uh, I would add on on Nick Needham. If you're waiting on Nick Needham, wait a little longer. Uh, that was not a good showing on Sunday when he came out in sweats and he was trying to get a good warm up going. Uh, he just did not look like a guy that was ready to play any kind of football anytime soon. So my original guess was that week four, week five in the, of the regular season is when maybe we could see Nick Needham in uniform. Uh, I would stick to that because he does not look ready to play any kind of football anytime soon. As far as other guys, uh, especially at at cornerback, uh, Bryce Thompson is a guy that's caught the eye, not necessarily in coverage or on the defense, but he's getting a lot of reps on special teams. And if you know what special teams player, uh, special teams coaches look for and how they use those reps, uh, his are, and I can't report on a lot of this, but his are kind of important because he's being used in a lot of important roles on punt return, punt team. So I would say Justin Bethel is on watch, I would say. Like maybe they could save a couple of bucks there. But Bryce Thompson is catching the eye of, of coaches. So that's a guy that I would look and uh, I would look at. And another guy that I think is having a good camp so far is Kedron Smith. Uh, he looks the part, big, long, safety. Uh, he's gotten his hands on a couple of passes over the middle, which is something you want to see when a guy comes off of the hash. You want to see that a guy could close out a dig route. And he obviously can. And I'm going to echo what Kyle Krabs said earlier. Uh, Elijah Campbell is, you know, you hate to proclaim a guy that just made the team and it's only been five days, but he's always been a good performer in camp and has had some good special uh, special teams moments and a good and some good moments in the preseason as a safety. Uh, I think he's he's going to be a contributor this year. And Bryce Thompson was an interesting guy in Tennessee. He just got his hands on a lot of ball, a lot of pass breakups, but sacks and forced fumbles and picks and fumbles. Do you know what I mean? A guy that was kind of was always around the ball. Look, I want to kick it up to linebacker because beyond the offensive line, it's probably the unit that people are most concerned about. Love David Long at Tennessee. I thought he was one of the most underrated players in the league, and it certainly felt like the last couple of days he's really begun to pop Kyle and on the field and just showing the, the the vision, the instincts, and the ability to attack the line of scrimmage. Both directly straight on and, and out towards the sideline and, and just make play after play. Yeah, he's he has been a heat-seeking missile getting into the backfield and shooting gaps and, and also getting out onto the perimeter outside the numbers with flow and, and how quickly he's processing stuff is, is really standing out to me. Um, I do know with this defense and the performance of the off-ball linebackers with the top two obviously being Jerome Baker and uh, David Long, I would throw Duke Riley as the third off-ball linebacker in there. I know we all want to see Channing Tindall pop. I think there's been some 
handful of plays over the past two days that, that you've kind of said, oh, okay, Channing, like, that looked pretty nice. You can see, obviously, the athleticism that he has, but I'm not concerned with this linebacker room unless you had an injury that came in, into the top four guys that you have uh, because the performance has been really good. This Fangio defense is about linebackers who can play in space and, and guys who can run, and it's going to be a lot of two-linebacker stuff. I think with the Dolphins, actually, the depth that they have on the defensive front, too, I would not be surprised to see a little bit more penny front than what you've okay. seen from Vic in the past, which is that one linebacker and, and five down yeah. um, defensive lineman. And obviously they've got the horses to run that and an embarrassment of riches up front. But um, they, they, the linebackers, I, I think, have performed very well. And when you compare that with the range of some of the, the safeties that they have, they, they have defended, I think, the middle of the field very well without stuffing a bunch of bodies in there in practice thus far. Yeah. What have you felt about the younger guys as well, Carl? The kind of the Mitchell Agoot who flashed really nicely in, in minicamp, but also Cameron Good, who we obviously drafted late on last year, and, and and a couple of those undrafted free agents from this year, Garrett Nelson, Aubrey Miller. Anything that you've seen on those guys that have sort of you know piqued your interest? Yeah, I, th- I thought Agood and uh, Aubrey Miller popped more at the end of last week before we were in pads, and obviously we have one pad of practice to work off of, but. Uh, I know Mike McDaniel shouted out Cameron Good, and I would generally agree with him. He's kind of had some opportunities and and opportunities against you know, some of the rotational tackles that were wondering, could you be the swing tackle like a way he is as an example of one of those kinds of guys. And uh, I think Good being a player that they very clearly had a vision for, they stashed him all year last year. Uh, he's got a year of development. I think he's a little bit more physically mature. He He looks like he's more physically mature. And um, I think he's playing pretty fast. I don't know that the numbers are in his favor to make the 53, but I thought he's been pretty active over the last few days, whereas other UDFAs that I were intrigued with, with Agud and uh, Aubrey Miller, I thought were a little bit more notable towards the end of last week for me. Interesting. Interesting. Alf, sticking with some of the younger guys, but moving a unit up to the defensive line, any guys there that have flashed some of the 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 undrafted free agents or the guys that have kind of come back for a second year and I, and I mean the kind of the Jaden Twymans or the Randy Charlton's a guy that we knew the Dolphins had a long interest in pre-draft in the pre-draft process at Josiah Bronson anybody flashing I know Brandon Peely made the uh, big play today or yesterday at the start of practice and and then got told off for celebrating but anybody that's you know caught the eye from the younger group yeah, Josiah Bronson had a really nice uh, TFL today uh, in the backfield. Uh, very nice play. I'm, I'm expecting some of these younger guys to actually flash a little more, even when they weren't in pads and they just didn't. Uh, they haven't so far. Uh, it's been Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer, the usual suspects. That's who's blowing up practices, blowing up plays every single day. Uh, Raquan Davis uh, continues uh, his – you know he's he's on World War Nine with uh, Connor Williams. It's two camps already. Uh, that's fun to watch. Whenever you want to, if you ever get out to a practice out there, watch those two guys. That's that's mm-hmm. a lot of fun every single snap. But um, I wish I could report that Randy Charlton has flashed or has done anything. But no, it's really been a handful of plays, and it's essentially Jalen Twynum. Brandon Peely had a nice uh, stuff today. But that was just one play. And uh, like I pointed out earlier, like, are you really going to expect an offensive lineman to cut a defensive lineman 
in practice? No. So a lot of those plays are plays that are probably, you know, Brandon Peely's probably washed out on those plays, and he's not making the TFL in the backfield. So I wish I can report that some of those young guys are flashing and are standing out, but they really haven't so far. It's just been a play here, a play there. But it's, you know, the headliners are the headliners, and nobody has yeah. come to join them yet. Carl, speaking about the headliners, and Alf said, you know, guys that like to have fun. Doesn't seem like there's too many guys having as much fun as Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips at the moment. Holy they, cow. They, they look like they are ready to absolutely explode this season. It is one heck of a dynamic duo with height, weight, speed, explosiveness, motor, and they, they, they really have this nice chemistry with each other, too, that I, I think you've kind of... there There's low-hanging fruit to point to with Bradley Chubb playing in this system and Jalen, and I know some of the interchangeability that your edge guys are required for if you're going to play in your base fronts and you want to drop seven into coverage. Like, one of those two guys might have to flash and take the flat. And you see the athleticism, obviously, when they're firing on all cylinders and, and you're in nickel and they're... they're you know, shooting upfield and getting after the quarterback, they are screaming in at all different kinds of angles. Um, but that athleticism component, there was there was one today where they were in base defense and Bradley ended up having to walk out over top of the slot. And then when they snapped the ball, he came as a as the fourth rusher and he still stressed that left tackle. And it, it's not just oh we got a bag of bones at, at each tackle spot either it's the explosiveness is really there with both of these guys right now and i i definitely see a different bradley chubb than what we saw down the stretch with him playing through the high ankle sprain last year obviously the book on bradley is being able to stay healthy for a full season is the question and and you know, look we've exhausted the talking points about health in this team and what it's going to do but I think going out and acquiring the the magnitude of talent that they did, you can hope to say, okay, if guys get banged up, we're still going to have enough difference makers to be moving the needle on any given Sunday when we're playing football. And, and you know, you've got depth behind these guys too. I think Malik Reed's done a nice job. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Reed, actually. Uh, a guy who had, you know, obviously Bradley Chubb's teammate, had 13 sacks in two seasons under Vic Fangio. How have you seen his development as a, as a Dolphin? Last two days, I think he's been pretty active and had some success getting after the quarterback as well. And um, he's he's not quite the same imposing speed-to-power type player that both Phillips and Chubb are, but nevertheless, he's, he's pretty refined as a pass rusher, and he's confident in this scheme with the sweat equity that he's put into it. All right, that's going to do it for the defense. Uh, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the offense. But first, these words. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage to your home or business? Are you having trouble locating a five-star rated general contractor that is fully licensed, certified, and insured? If the answer is yes, then Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. 
With over 60 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, Jorge, and their team is prepared to handle any size property damage disaster. When an unexpected damage occurs to your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. Their objective is to make the cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed general contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that business homeowners and business owners require. Water Cleanup of Florida is now an authorized dealer of Eurocraft cabinets, so premier kitchen, bath, and laundry cabinetry, countertops, and other accessories are available for your viewing at their showroom in Boca Raton. Or, do you prefer to shop from your home or office? Then Water Cleanup will send you one of our design specialists to you with samples and products that fit your style and budget. Call Michael anytime on his personal cell phone if you have any questions at 954-579-0356. That's 954-579-0356. Or visit the website at wcufl.com. You can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. And please check out their more than 80 five-star reviews on Google and Facebook. Water Cleanup of Florida. If you have the schmutz, they have the guts. I'm Jalen Phillips, and you're listening to Three Yards Per Carry. Kicking it to the offensive line, and obviously this is where you guys can get into some trouble with the Dolphins, with their policy of reporting on starters and those sorts of things. So I'll, I'll try not to put you on the spot too much. But there are obviously names that, you know, fans are keen to hear about and kind of see how the development is going. It kind of feels like Robert Hunt is kind of being a Robert Hunt kind of training camp. He's mauling people. He's, you know, he's... The, probably the top performer with Toronto Armstrong not playing, uh, not out there. But it feels like Dan Feeney's had a, a decent few days. It feels like we touched on Kendall Lamb earlier. It feels like he's had a decent few days. What about some of the other guys that we're kind of hoping to to, to come back and to, to really sort of give the Dolphins some depth? And I suppose I start with the guy that, you know, everybody talks about, and that's Austin Jackson. Came in incredibly light, looked like a, you know, looked like a basketball player rather than a, a, an offensive tackle. But how's he held up? with less weight and being healthy again, what have you seen from him that, you know, makes you think, okay, he can do it or makes you think actually, God, this, this guy's just not going to get it. I think he's had some good moments and I, I think he's had a good two days in camp after that disaster of a practice on Friday. Uh, that practice on Friday was just, uh, you know, it was just the defense, just, you know, the defensive line just running into the backfield play after play after play, blowing up every single thing. Uh, Robert Hunt kind of talked about that today that sometimes when you're not in pads, the defensive line can take a little uh, advantage of you. I thought Austin Jackson has had a good two days, and I thought he had a really good day today. He had a couple of rushes one-on-one with uh, Jalen Phillips that he kind of he stoned him on a couple of plays. Uh, I think if there's a guy that I can point to and I can say he has not had a good camp and I've noticed him getting beat and getting beat uh, pretty badly on a couple of plays, because I have the, I have the, you know, I try to keep a, a little clock in my head of 2.5 seconds, and you know, I'm not timing it, but I know when a guy's beat right off the, right off the ball. And Liam Eikenberg has been that guy. Um, I've noticed him in every single practice so far. Uh, he has not been good. I don't, at least I don't think he's been good. Uh, Kendall Lamb has been pretty solid. He's had his moments, except today, Bradley Chubb got him on a really nice inside move. Um, I called it a sack. Uh, some some of the beat guys around me were saying it's a throwaway, that Tua had the opportunity to throw that one away. But, um, yeah, spot on with Robert Hunt. Uh, I think you can trust him going forward. But it's been a good two days for Austin Jackson, I think. And 
Next Saturday, they're having a scrimmage at the stadium. Uh, that's one to watch, right? Like, that's, you know, it should be live. I'd like to see him go up against Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips, Manny Ogba. And i like to see him, you know, hold his own once again. But I would say it's been a good two days for Austin Jackson. Carl, without putting you on the spot, but sort of putting you on the spot, given what Alfred said about Liam Eikenberg, how do you feel like Dan Feeney is progressing towards a possible starting position at left guard? I don't know that I would get the warm and fuzzies. Dan, Dan I thought, had a good session in the pass rush one-on-ones today, I think was where he really stood out the most. I think back to the other previous two practices before they put the pads on and I think there were some opportunities where you're playing with your hands, you're trying to be in position, uh, emulating the run game as best as you can. And so take it with a grain of salt for the fact that if you're not going to subscribe to it's not on pads, then then I don't really care. But I, I thought he got pushed around some in those capacities. And well, for Dan, it, it's kind of been like Liam is the, it's never been getting in position to have a good block. It's the actual execution of it. That has been, I think, the sore spot for Dan on film as he's kind of pinballed around the league a little bit. And I would agree with Alpha on, on Liam being somebody who I didn't think has performed particularly well. And uh, I think at the pass rush one-on-ones today for Liam, he gets out of the blocks. He's got a pretty good opportunity. He throws his hands at first, but it's still kind of that same consistency of your feet getting stuck in the mud. You leave your base behind you. You lean and then you end up chasing and turning. So I don't think Dan is as um, inconsistent in that capacity of his game. Uh, you love the fact that there is obviously center guard flexibility there for Dan. I'm hoping that we're going to get a chance to see Isaiah win as he continues to work back from the PUP to get some more rotational reps there at left guard and, and see what he can give you there. I think there's more ceiling there and certainly a more stout player as far as applying force on the interior. And um, without saying too much here, I I think Isaiah wins stylistically versus what we've seen some of the successful run run concepts here uh, over the course of the past few days. I actually think win translates to a little bit more effective play if he can find his footing inside their guard. Just staying with you, Carl, then uh, there's obviously a couple of young players on the team and and I saw... Um, I saw a colleague, Travis, um, from the Dolphins, talk today about uh, the centre from San Diego State, um, Alava Uluave. And I wondered if you'd seen enough of him to, to think, OK, this guy might not have a shot at the 53, but might be somebody that we could bring in on the practice squad. Where do you think we stand with some of those younger guys, those undrafted guys, uh, and the sort of the, the more developmental guys that we've seen? I mean, I mean, actually, we saw them thrust into actual playoff action last year I'm talking about you know Jerome Christian and Lester Cotton but is there somebody that's beginning to make you feel like they could make the team from from that group I'm not sure that I would say that the San Diego State kid will, will make the team but I thought he handled himself very well in the one-on-one drill today and acknowledging that that's usually not an environment for a successful performance for offensive linemen yeah. I think the challenge for with evaluating the young guys is you don't really have the defensive line depth really get a good gauge on on how they are or are not executing. You know, unless you're getting your one-on-one reps with Sealer or Wilkins or you could throw Raekwon Davis in there, although I think we'd all acknowledge the pass rush ceiling is not as high there as it is for some of the other guys. Like, 
I just don't think they have a lot of guys with juice that you can really evaluate the interior developmental guys. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm struggling right now with gauging their performances. It's like, okay, you set well, but you set well versus Anthony Montalvo. Like, yeah. What, yeah. what do I do with that rep? I'm not quite sure yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a very fair point. That's a very fair point. As tight ends, it feels like a kind of much of a muchness here. And there's no real standout, at least on paper. Feels like the guy that we kind of would like to, and that I feel like the Dolphins would like to, especially as how he was talked up, certainly in sort of private circles around the draft. And Elijah Higgins has sort of been a little bit slow to the ball, but felt like he had a better day today. But where are we with the tight ends? Anybody standing out? Anybody making plays? Anybody making you think, you know, obviously we know what we get with the Durham Smythe, but is there anybody else from that group that's kind of making you sit up and take notice? Yeah, there was a play today where they, um, it was it was kind of interesting what they did because this is something that they did last year with Durham Smythe a lot. Um, Kendall Lamb blocked down on a play, and they were trying to boot behind it, and that that left Eric Saubert all alone with Bradley Chubb, and I thought he handled himself well on that one rep. Um, as far as pass catchers, you're not seeing much. You're seeing a lot of these guys, you know, catching a lot of outlet passes. Um, after plays are breaking down, they're not really the primary on anything that's called. Um, Elijah Higgins did have one nice play. He mo- he mossed uh, J- uh, Justin Bethel uh, on a go route. Uh, I believe it was. Uh, I think he was in the slot because I wasn't really paying attention to Elijah Higgins, but I think he was in the slot and he ran like a slot wheel, and Justin Bethel came out on him and he caught the pass over the top from from Skylar Thompson, the guy that I've been watching and trying to see what they saw. Because he just looks great. He looks great in uniform. He looks the part. Long, lean athletes. Julian Hill. Uh, he's getting the rep count, which is a good sign. Um, you kind of want want to see him flash, I would say. And I think the coach kind of alluded to this on his first press availability. The Tanner Connor experiment might be over. Because he did say that his injury is one that would keep him out past Nick Needham and we just saw Nick Needham what he looked like working on the side and he doesn't look like he's ready for the beginning of the season so it looks like Tanner Connor might get a red shirt season which means that it's wide open for Elijah Higgins to take over that role um I think those are these are guys that you gotta see with Mike White and Skylar Thompson in preseason games and see if they flash if they have a game they have a good game or they have a good practice against Houston in Houston but as to say that they've they've been like wallpaper, uh, that's that's being kind. They're you know they're they're facilitators. They're not uh, headliners in any way in this offense. This offense is about those wide receivers, and I'm pretty sure we're going to get to a few of them coming up here, and those running backs. But yeah, Carl, these um, there's some serious talent at this wide receiver position. It feels like five or six from eleven at the moment. And just to run through them, obviously, uh, Chosen Anderson has, uh, has flashed. We know what Braxton Berrios brings, both as a receiver from the slot, but also as a you know in the return game. River Craycraft is a guy that clearly is well liked by the you know by both Mike McDaniel, John Embry, etc. They know how he plays, they know how he works, they know the stuff that he does around the facility. Ezra Camber for the second year running is really flashing in, in, in training camp, but needs to obviously translate that into into the 
to game day. We know what we get with Tyreek and Jalen, Braylon Sanders, who they liked last year. Freddie Swain has been around the league since 2020, has core passes, 46, 50 passes uh, as a pro. Cedric Wilson, you know, obviously struggled with the rib injury last year, but has clearly got talent that showed that at Dallas. And then you throw in, you know, guys like Chris Coleman and, and Davis and, you know, there's a lot of talent there and, and some good players are going to miss out on that in terms of roster spots. Yeah, I don't envy this math problem because last year, I think to start the season, they carried five tight ends and a fullback. So yeah. it's it's just like your your skill position numbers are a little uh, a little lean. And if you picked out, if you hand-selected the guys that you would probably <clears throat> like to make it, you'd, I think you'd have seven between Tyreek and Jalen, Berrios, Chosen, Cedric Wilson, Ezukama, and Craycraft. I think that's the group that I think have a realistic chance of making this uh, 53. Uh, I think Berrios and Craycraft is probably a little redundant. Yeah. Uh, So so I think Berrios, with with the financial commitment there and the special teams ability, has a pretty significant leg up. So I think that's, that's a pretty firm group of six. I think the mystery is... Would anybody have a wide receiver injury that would intrigue them in, in Cedric Wilson? I've already got tweets today about get Denver on the line because they, they just had a wide receiver Tim go Patrick, down. Yeah. And and you feel for Tim Patrick. It's just absolutely yeah. horrible that practice injuries the last two years that are season enders. You feel for him because he was a good player and, and yeah, they really made a big player. commitment there. But um, oh, if, if that happens, then I think that kind of opens you up for some more flexibility. I think it's a pretty significant long shot with Cedric's salary that, that anybody would do that. Um, so uh, you're going to have probably one wide receiver at minimum that you'd really like to find a way to make it work with. Who's not going to be on. And, and I don't think there's any chance as is on the bubble with the way that he's performing right now. He, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's been after the catch with the ball in his hands, stacking guys vertically He's the second tallest and the heaviest wide receiver in the room, so you want to have a little bit of ambiguity to have a receiver out there that you can have contribute in the run game. I think he can be that for you. I think he is really physical. So uh, I, I think the Ezukama emergence, he might not be a primary target receiver in this offense, but there's some things that he can do from a height, weight, speed, athlete element now that he's had a year to kind of digest this system that uh, – I don't think he's particularly close to the bubble. I think he's outperformed a couple of the big name. Uh, I think he's had a better camp since I've been down here on Friday last week than when what Robbie Chosen has, as just an example. So, I mean, he he's really had himself a nice stretch of practice. I mean, yeah. he was six six two two oh nine at the combine, but it feels like he's. It looks like he's. 215, 216, but hasn't lost any of that. And, and actually, hasn't lost any of that speed for so a 455 or 157-10 yard split. But it feels like he's his ability to gain instant separation is the thing that has really set him apart this year that perhaps he lacked a little bit last year. Maybe he was just using his physicality to just go up and get balls and just out-jump and out-muscle out guys. But now it feels like he's added a little bit of that you know, real quickness in the first few strides of his of his route, Alf, and it feels like we're looking at a different player again. You know, and again, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast that you know when he came to the NFL last year, it's the first time he'd ever been in a huddle. You know, both in high school and at Texas Tech, he just had not been in the huddle. Was getting, um, you know, plays shouted in from the sideline and, and signaled in from the sideline, and so everything was new to him. But it does feel like he's just physically 
and mentally in a much better place to contribute this year. Yeah, and and what a flashy play today. Um, Tua rolls to his left, and it's some kind of under coverage. Uh, I won't get too deep into that, but he's running an over route, and instead of running the zone, he's not running through zones. He feels like, you know what? Maybe if I stop short of the hash, I have some space here, and he does have space, and Tua finds him. And now he finds him for about a 14-yard gain. 40 yards later, he's pushed out of bounds by Deshaun Elliott. It was a really flashy play. It showed a little bit of a intelligence. And great play by, by Tua, by the way, for, for finding him. But, you know, how can you not find him? Uh, such a smart route. Um, that's that's working in the, in the classroom. That's listening to Wes Welker. That's understanding coverages. That's understanding that... You know what? If I run this zone on this over route, I'm essentially useless because Tua's is either going to throw in between uh, defensive backs or over a linebacker to get it to me. But what if I just stop short of this hash? I have space here. What if Tua finds me across his body? And he did. And it was 40-yard game. And he does look faster. Uh, at least he looks yeah. different from last year. He's getting past he's, guys. He's he's, he's, playing, he's playing faster yes, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I was having a conversation with Peter Bukowski, Kyle's um, colleague from Locked On Packers, uh, the other day. And we, it, when I was at the Senior Bowl last year, Christian Watson, when he walked out on day one, just looked like a physical freak of nature. His arms, the musculature in his arms, his shoulders, he just looked a different animal to every other, pretty much every other player that was there, let alone every other receiver. And I, and I kind of feel like watching just on video clips, obviously, because that's all I can see. Uh, you guys are there, but it, it feels like he has just grown into that frame. His arms just look really, you know, he looks a big physical power player, but with some finesse to his game. And it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see how he develops. Cause you know, this time last year we were saying, wow, this kid looks like he could be something really good. And obviously barely played throughout the season. So what about the running backs out? You know, a lot of speed there. We've seen it a little bit with Devon A. Chain, with, with Salman Ahmed, with Mars Gaskin. It looked like he had a big big run today. Um, I saw Carl tweeting earlier on about John Lover at fullback and and obviously Alan Ingold there at fullback. So one of those two guys is obviously Ingold is going to make the team. But Love it looks like a, you know, a solid contributor if we get down into the weeds on fullbacks in terms of, you know, what he brings to the table. Obviously, most at Wilson, the, the elephant in the room is Dalvin Cook, but we kind of know where we are with that. Um, any of those, what's your sense on, on first of all, on A-Chain as the guy that, you know, we know how much Mike McDaniel loved him in the pre-draft process, loved the fact that they were able to pick him up. Um, where where do you think he is in terms of his early contributions? Well, he, he looks fast, and that's a, that's a great thing. And you could see him getting out on, on outside runs, and you can see how he's actually going to, you know, he's going to make something out of nothing just on pure speed. Like maybe a play is completely strung out, but he could get to the corner and get you two yards no matter what because he's such a good athlete, so fast. But I was more impressed with him being left alone with Malik Reed on a rep. And disaster did not ensue. And Mike White actually got the ball off, which is a good sign. Uh, I want to see it more. I want to see it against, uh, you know, Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips. Although it's probably asking too much, but you, you don't want him to, you don't want to see him be completely hopeless in that regard. Uh, Raheem Mostert is also having a great camp. He wore the orange today. Um, he's getting the lion's share of reps with the top guys. Uh, that's not you know that's I'm not breaking any news there. Uh, he was a starter last year, 
Uh, he's pretty much returned to the same form. He's catching the ball well out of the backfield. And, you know, he's he's finding creases. He's he's doing his thing once again. Raheem Mostert's the top guy. And uh, I've told I've told people this, uh, you know, and I see the Dalvin, the Dalvin Cook saga has reached, you know, it's, it's fifth month of drama. And if he does find his way here, first of all, Kater Coho doesn't want to give up number four. We know, we've established that. But second of all, I don't think Raheem Moser is going to give away too many snaps to a Dalvin Cook. And I think the only guy that's really in any kind of danger to using, to losing snaps to a Dalvin Cook is probably Jeff Wilson, who's had a, a couple of absences. Uh, I don't know if you got anything on that, Kyle, of what was going on with Jeff Wilson. Supposedly it's an injury, but it's a minor one that kept him out for today. But uh, Raheem Mostert is my standout in on that unit, and I'm expecting big things. Hopefully he stays healthy. I don't have anything on, on Jeff, and I know there was some question about where he was at yesterday too, but he, he was out after practice, and I saw a video of him like playing with Raheem's kids after practice, so it, it doesn't look like it's anything significant to be worried about. But I, I would agree with you kind of in its totality. Uh, I think Savan Ahmed has uh, performed admirably. He had a bad drop today on a check down, but I think he's run well. He looks fast. Um I think Miles Gaskin's probably the one back in this group that uh, of guys with NFL experience and tenure who doesn't have a lot of juice. Uh, but but Ahmed's not somebody that I would leave off of that conversation of really uh, explosive players. I think the challenge is if you do ultimately sign up uh, with Dalvin Cook, you, you're probably going to push him off the bubble. I don't think that's somebody you can sneak onto a practice squad. I think somebody would give him a 53 shot somewhere else. So. Uh, that's that's the price you pay for having a lot of talent, and and I agree with you with Raheem. I I think the pass catching element, and he talked about that when they showed up for camp, has been the best uh, surprise with Raheem. And you saw him yesterday catch a a wheel route for a touchdown in the back of the end zone over top of Cater in zone coverage, and it was a really really easy catch, you know, comfortable catching over his shoulder away from his frame. So. Uh, you're encouraged there. I think just the question is, he set a career high in touches last year, and durability's never really been the thing, and uh, he, he's in his ninth NFL season, and obviously there's not been a, a ton of wear and tear in some of those years, but it's it, for Miami, it's, it's just how comfortable are you with having a repeat performance of that when that historically really hasn't been who this guy's been? Yeah. Let's kick on to quarterbacks because it's what everybody wants to know, and for, for all of us, the biggest question, of course, uh, all of us Florida State fans, obviously, is how is James Blackman doing? Huh? I don't know. I don't think I've so, seen him throw <laughs> <laughs> other than the warm ups when they're out there just warming up for practice. I think that's he's he looked on point with the warm up throws. I'll say that. Excellent. That's what I wanted to hear. Listen, we're in the element of um, we're in the the part of the uh, Tungavala cycle where now we're having arguments between fans and writers about. Uh, the use of video and whether or not it's been slowed down and sped up uh, for dramatic effect and how that bizarrely affects whether or not he looks better or not. Uh, this is the weird world, weird world that we live in, but how is he looking in terms of, um, in terms of what you expect from him, but also kind of taking that next step. And I thought it was quite interesting today that Mike McDaniel said, although I don't know if he was joking because I didn't actually, I only saw the quote rather than him actually say it, but he said that he kind of fell over backwards during, um, during mini counts, but sort of did a, a kind of a, a roly poly kind of, I don't know, some sort of 
flip, backflip, roly-poly. That's probably not even a word you even use in America. Like a backflip, a backflip and, and kind of landed on his feet. And um, how's he looking? How's he how's he sounding? How does he feel? How's the, what's the tour vibe? For what it's worth, uh, I was in there along with Alf, and I don't know if Mike was serious or not myself okay. so and that that's with the full context of of mike and his yeah. personality with his quotes but um if you want to use the word roly-poly as well then ro- can... roly-poly is is in the lexicon for me excellent that's good to know that is um, good to know as far as too i i think all the areas in which you saw him have success with last year you see the direct correlation the quick trigger the uh, anticipatory throws, the accuracy over the middle of the field. I think he's shown really nice touch in other areas of the field. Um, we kind of talked about it and alluded to it earlier. I do think they are working some different areas, and, and that is something that if you're expecting that to fire on all cylinders, I, I think you'll be a little disappointed. And uh, look, he had he had two touch throws in the honey hole today in practice where uh, I thought he dropped it over top of Cam Smith, uh, leaping Cam Smith beautifully. It hit the receiver in the hands. It just wasn't a completed catch because the, the timing just wasn't quite there yet. I, th- I think the Fangio defense is a really nice final frontier for Tua as far as, you know, he, he went against the Belichick-Flores system in coaching for quite some time, and then he got the crash course where he got pulled for uh, for Fitzpatrick against the Tampa two defense, and you saw him his defensive reading be much more consistent last year. And then you got the Brandon Staley, and and I think he read the San Francisco game better. He was just didn't have a particularly good performance, and was uncharacteristically inaccurate. Well, the Chargers game with Staley, who's off that tree, was the one where I think they they really put the gridlocks on the offense, and, and to to see him and I know Alf mentioned this, but to watch him kind of take the inventory and to continue to get a feel for how the picture changes post-snap versus vanilla presentation and finding more context clues there for what's going to happen, it's only going to help him grow. Um, I like the fact that he's looking to push the ball and and not taking checkdowns right now in practice where you know you're not going to hit because you need to work on some of those routes and and get those throws in there and get that timing right. So um, it's it's been a little herky-jerky at times, but I don't think it's herky-jerky for any other reason other than they're expanding the portfolio of the offense, if that makes sense. Where else would you get herky jerky and roly poly in one podcast, people? And honey hole. I see honey hole. Honey hole's the big hit in the chat, so it's great. I mean, we are we are killing it with lexicon tonight. Um, Alf, it felt like when the Dolphins signed Mike White early on in free agency that he was going to be the guy that you know. We talked about it. If two was to go down, it was a guy that they felt confident in that could be reliable, that could move the ball, that had some success with the Jets. But actually, that kind of hasn't really translated, and it feels like there's a bit of bit of a battle going on with with Skylar Thompson for who's going to be Tua's backup when it comes to the to the regular season. Well, you're asking the wrong guy because I'm like the confirmed uh, Skylar Thompson. You agent. hate Skylar Thompson. Yeah, I despise him. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just don't want him to ever listen to this podcast ever again. <laughs> um, Skylar Thompson, I think, had a better day today. Uh, he had a awful day uh, on Friday. Uh, he was okay on uh, on Sunday, I would say. 
But um, Mike White, you could start to see some of the things that, you know, that got him the money as essentially QB2. Like, you don't pay a guy that and make him QB3 on game day. Uh, I would think that he probably has the upper hand because he has had some moments. That pass to Jalen Waddle on Sunday was was beautiful. It was a, it was a great pass. Great pass on what looked like um, I guess it was a corner route, uh, right on time, right on the money. And I've seen enough to think that they possibly win that playoff game against against Buffalo with Mike White at quarterback because I don't think he makes those mistakes that Skylar Thompson did, and I think he does hit. A couple of those plays. Uh, one thing I will say about Tua on the practice on Friday that was an absolute disaster. Okay, and we got a really good vantage point on it because we were in the catwalk, uh, hovering right over the offense. So we were essentially lined up at running back. Okay, so they're running plays from the ten yard line. We're right over them. So we're watching the defense. We're watching everything that's going on. There was one play in particular where you know they're on the right hash. And they run some type of pressure five, or they're bringing five, but they're going to drop Bradley Chubb, okay? But Tua doesn't know that. Uh, we know that because we see it as it's happening. And Tua's going to throw hot. Uh, he had a slant on that side of the field that he glanced on, he glanced over at, didn't throw it, and then threw the crosser to Robbie Chosen. Now, he just missed him. Missed him by, you know, maybe a foot. Could have been a little bit more accurate. But had he thrown hot, on the slant to Tyreek, I believe it was Tyreek that was on the field, he would have been throwing the ball right at Bradley Chubb. After that play, he went over and he talked to Vic Fangio, and they seemed to have to be having a conversation. I thought that showed a great maturity and great understanding of the rules and what could happen, especially on the field side in a Vic Fangio defense. Uh, I, think, I think Tua is having a good camp. It's not as flashy as last year, but he's having a decent camp. And as far as the Mike white uh, Skylar Thompson battle, I guess – you know, we got to watch preseason uh, again. But I asked uh, I asked Kyle a question, and um, he was, like, noncommittal on it. But I was thinking, and although Omar Kelly came into the conversation, he said, man, you got to, you know, retrain a third quarterback in the offense. But I was thinking if Skylar Thompson can perform in preseason and you could get a pick out of him, would you do it? And uh, I guess you could elaborate what you were, what you what you told me, Kyle, on that. Yeah, I think my just my apprehension is with the durability of of Tua Tagovailoa. Maybe I'm snake bit because I watched the backup quarterback for Dolphins games last year also get hurt in like four games. Felt like every game that they started with a backup, that guy didn't finish the game either. Um, but just in, until I think we we have a little bit of confirmation that the work that Tua has done is going to translate to. A little bit better durability, and he does look thicker. I'm I'm looking forward to tomorrow with that being quarterback availability day. Uh, standing next to him, uh, I talked about this a little bit on Locked On Dolphins, but the first time I saw Tua was at LSU Alabama 2019, but I didn't get to stand next to him. The first time I stood next to him was walking down one of the aisles in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine that year, and seeing how his body has evolved over that stretch of time, and remembering. Seeing him last year and standing next to him, I am very eager to see. He, I mean, he's listed on the team roster at 227. So I want to know what that looks like. And if all of that work and the training that he has done, if that correlates to better durability and you probably have a little bit better peace of mind, and then I'd be receptive to carrying two quarterbacks or having a third quarterback that 
didn't spend the entirety of of the offseason with the team kind of learning the offense. But that's kind of my apprehension right now is just parting ways with a third quarterback that is familiar because of the uh, consistency issues with availability that we saw with Tua at times last year and then the backup quarterback with Teddy Bridgewater as well. Gents, we have been through the team. Is there anything else from your collective notebooks that you would like to get out there in terms of information before the uh, before the Dolphins come and chop your hands off and say you've given us too much info? Anything that's sort of stood out that we haven't touched upon, or are we good? No, I think uh, we've pretty much covered it all. Uh, Taron Armstead's off the pup, so I guess we'll see him on the field tomorrow. Good stuff, Looking Carl. Forward to that. Uh, Enjoy your last few days, Carl, as, uh, before you head back to Philadelphia. Um, thank you very much. Thank you so much for being uh, way better than Chris always is. Um, we are all off on a uh, Disney cruise, um, I think. That's what Alf said anyway. So uh, we will be back next week with more Dolphin stuff. You've been listening to Three Yards Per Carry. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Carry. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.